Hi, it's Larry from Hawthorne Bank. You know, our goal in 2022, as in years past, is to put as many friendly faces in more familiar places all over town as we can. At Hawthorne Bank, we'll continue to do what we can for our community, our schools, and our nonprofit organizations. Hawthorne Bank cares. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. reputations to make a, a plea up here. Um, most of you know we do Sunday mornings. We pick up folks around town on the church van. Um, Forty years ago, there was a crusty old guy that talked me into driving. At that time, we had two old farm all school buses. He knew I had a license, so I could go do that. And I've never been able to get off of that rotation in 40 years. So our plea is that we need help with that because now there's crusty old guys like Howard Bullock and myself and Forrest and <laughs> driving those, and we need help. You don't have to have a special license. Uh, there's a few steps to go through. And so it's a good service that we offer, and I just would ask that any of you that would be interested, please give us me or Howard. We'll try to get you signed up to take care of that. Sidebar to that, we have had some uh, inquiries about uh, some type of a handicap accessible vehicle, pick up folks, wheelchairs, walkers, whatever the need may be. We don't currently own a vehicle like that. And it can't easily be added to the route that we're doing now. So we would just ask if you're interested on that front, please let us know you'd be willing to drive that type of a vehicle to make pickups for folks in need like that. And we'll pursue a vehicle to meet those needs, but we've got to have help from you before we make that leap. So please, if that weighs on your heart, pray about it, get with me or Howard. Now, I'm up here for two reasons. The other is I am your deacon of the week. My number's up there, and that is a correct one. So with that, give me a call if I can help, if there's a need. Um, please let us know. I do work out of town. If I can't help you, we have a nice young assistant deacon of the week sitting in the very back. He's just chomping at the bit to come and help you. And so I will call him and he'll come and help you out. 
um, this morning, new day, new time, new direction, I hope. I mean, I don't know what the Lord has planned. Fifteen years ago, a young youth pastor asked me to go on a World Changers trip, okay? World Changers, I'm there, let's go, okay? So I went. In that time frame, I got to know him better. And reality hit me in the face. I have kids as old as this guy, older than this guy, and he's in charge of the trip. This morning, I wake up with the reality. Our new pastor could have gone to high school with my kids. I will adjust. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just come to you this morning. I just offer up our time of service here, our, our service time here. We just ask your presence with us. We ask that you uh, just anoint Pat with uh, your Holy Spirit, that we would have ears to hear, hearts to understand. And we just ask that we would leave here knowing we were in your presence. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. last few weeks from some young gals about this thing called the If Gathering, which is a women's conference that we are having here March the 3rd and 4th, Friday night from 6 till 9.30 or so. I know it's past your bedtime, you can deal with it. And Saturday from 9 till 4. Well, today's your turn to hear from a couple of the old over 55 crowd about why this is good for us. Last year's conference exceeded the expectations of all of us who attended, and the fellowship that developed was truly God-inspired. And as a result, we witnessed spiritual growth continue throughout the year, and it was just incredible to witness. And we're here because we don't want anybody to miss out on that opportunity to experience that this year. Absolutely. So here's what we need to do. First, if you haven't already done so, please sign up. There's multiple ways to do that. You can do it on the church app, on the website, or in the front lobby when you leave service today. So the cost to attend is $15. That covers all of our conference fees. And then wonderful homemade snacks both days and on lunch on Saturday. Awesome, awesome. If you'd like to have a conference t-shirt, we just want to let you know those need to be ordered by this Wednesday, February 15th. They can be ordered at the same place you um, register for the conference, which is online or a church website, like she said. So, or you can go by C-squared on the north side of the square and order it yourself and pay for it. But again, it needs to be done by Wednesday so that we can all have our t-shirts in time for the conference. So here's the other thing we want you to think about is it's an easy way to invite your friends to come to church and learn about Jesus. We're all looking for those opportunities. So to help you do that at the back of the service when it's over, we're gonna have some postcards for you to use to hand to your friends so that you can invite them to this incredible opportunity. So there's also a table in the lobby that you can stop at and ask any questions that you might have. And as if you needed any more reasons to attend, we wanted to let you know as a special treat, our own Caitlin Griffey is gonna be leading us in worship live for those two days. So, see, see you there. there. And that's just for ladies, right? Okay, so guys, I know it sounds interesting, but ladies only. Let's all stand together, read our gospel reading aloud. This is from Matthew chapter 5, some challenging words from Jesus. 
You have heard it that long ago. You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Matthew 5, 21 through 26. I'm going to ask that we stand for these next few songs. If you feel like you are fatigued and need to sit, then feel free to do that. But let's all stand together.
Our psalm reading this morning is from Psalm 119. Would you read with me, please? Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Psalm 119, 1 through 8. All my life, all I know, God's been good, good to my soul. Mountain high, valley low, I'm gonna sing wherever I go. All my life, all I know, God's been good, good to my soul. Mountain high, valley low, I'm gonna sing wherever I go. God is for me.
John chapter, chapter 15 is going to be where we are this morning. I'm going to set these right down there. John chapter 15 is where we're going to be this morning. When I was in sixth grade, uh, my dad realized there was something not quite right about me. Uh, more so than just normal middle school things. Um, middle school is a rough season, and, and I recognize that. But for me, I was struggling more than normal. I was the tiniest, skinniest, smallest kid in my sixth grade class. Um, I uh, was thirsty all the time. I could just, all the time, I was thirsty, thirsty, thirsty. Uh, I was going to the restroom so much. My dad was like, this is odd. Like, what's this, what's my kid doing in there, you know? He's just, he's struggling and, and all those things. My dad was most concerned about these mood swings that were even greater than, uh, than middle school often brings. I was high as can be, and then I was just low as can be, and I'd be super happy, and then I'd be super sad, and then be super mad, and then laughing. And I remember on one day when I was in particularly uh, naughty form, uh, my dad being like, what is wrong with you? We didn't know. My dad took me to the doctor, and I was so sick by that point that the whole day is kind of a blur. I don't remember a whole lot of it. I remember going into this medical facility, and they started doing these different tests. And then I remember the end of the day when the doctor came in uh, to share the, the news. And the doctor said, listen, you, your son, talking to my dad, he said, your son has diabetes I don't ever remember hearing the word before that moment. We're like, is that bad? You know, well, what is that? He said, well, it's insulin-dependent diabetes. And, and so then he began to explain what it was. He said, listen, here's the deal. Your pancreas has quit functioning. So your pancreas produces insulin, which is vital to your cells being able to be nourished by the food that you eat. And so the reason you're so skinny is because you're starving to death from the inside. The reason you're going to the restroom so much is because you, your body's kicking out sugar and you're actually changing the, the, the balance of your blood. Your blood is becoming acidic, and at this point for you, death is fairly certain. Wow, that's a lot for an 11-year-old to process. And, and so we're listening, and he says, listen, here's what you'll need to do. For the rest of your life, barring some kind of a, a cure that comes down the road, you're going to need to test your blood sugar over and over and over again during the day. You're going to need to take two to six insulin injections. And if your blood sugar is good, you'll be fine. But if you don't take control of it, when you get older, you're going to lose your eyesight and your legs will fall off. Whoa. Um, Again, it was a lot to process for an 11-year-old kid. And I remember my dad was just a single dad trying to do the best he could to raise me. I remember him saying to the doctor, like, is there anything else that, like, is there another option? You know, is there another pathway forward for my son? And the doctor, without missing a beat, said, yes, your son can be dead in a few days. Now, before we critique this guy's bedside manner, um, <laughs> I've forever been thankful for how blunt he was with us. Because he made it really clear, like, listen, 
with insulin, you're going to be fine. Without insulin, you will die. And so today, uh, I've, I've got a little insulin pump here. Every now and then, it'll beep and tell me I'm high or low, and it does all this miraculous stuff. But uh, my life, I'm insulin dependent. And so this goes under my shirt, and it connects to a little port in my body that moves every three days. And, and I'm an insulin-dependent diabetic. And there aren't many benefits to diabetes from what I can tell. But one benefit is this. It forever changed how I look at John chapter 15. Because Jesus is every bit as blunt with believers in this passage as my doctor was with my dad and I that day in the waiting room. Today's passage is not about how you get salvation. It's about how we live as people who are saved. How do we do this Christian life thing? In the New Testament later, the Apostle Paul talks about being in Christ and so to me, the two sides of the same coin, this vine the branches thing, this is, this is how it works. This is what it means to be in Christ. Today's sermon is entitled, Jesus-Dependent Fruit Bearers. We are Jesus-Dependent Fruit Bearers. I'm going to read five verses, but then we're going to walk through the big picture of sort of everything Jesus says here in the first 16 verses. John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain, abide in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. The word of the Lord we pray for us. And Father God, our prayer is simply that you would um, shed light on the clear uh, revelation of your word that we just read, Father. There's so much to this, God. It's so simple that the youngest children listening today understand that a branch cut off dies. But, Lord, it's so profound that I just don't know that we as believers always understand how life-changing and transformative this metaphor can be for our lives. Because you pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus says that he is the true vine. And he's, he's challenging the way that Old Testament Israel struggled to be the vine. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, God's people, right, the nation of Israel, through them, God's salvation was going to be offered to every nation, every tribe, every tongue. That was the plan from the beginning. And yet, repeatedly in these passages in the Old Testament where God talks about Israel as a vine, he's disappointed in them. He's sad that they've not become what he intended for them to be. And so when Jesus says that he is the true vine, uh, his disciples would have understood fully uh, what he meant. This whole passage today happens in the upper room with Jesus and the disciples, right? This is the night before the cross. This is the, the graduation address, if you will. And Jesus is saying, this is how it works. And he's like, listen, guys, I am the true vine. This is one of the seven I am statements in the book of John. Every time Jesus is linking himself back with the I am, or Jesus is linking himself back with the I am of the Old Testament. And so Jesus says that he is the true vine where Israel failed to do what God called him, them to do. Jesus is like, I'm the true vine. In the same way that the bald eagle 
you know, it's sort of a symbol of the United States. The vine was, was, it was on their currency. It was on the doors of the temple. I mean, this was a big deal. And Jesus is like, yeah, but the true vine, the true vine is now here. Well, what exactly does God desire? God desires what he's always desired. He wants us to image him. He wants his likeness to be seen in the people that he has called to himself. Jesus is looking for the fruit of his life in those who follow him. And that's why the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is so helpful. What does the likeness of Christ look like? It looks like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Well, how does that happen in our lives? Vine the branches. Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. Notice in verse 1, Jesus says, the Father is the gardener. Now, some of the language we're going to read today is a little bit difficult to understand, and it's debated what does it mean that some branches are cut off, and how does all that work? But we need to never forget this. God is not like when, the way I trim my bushes. Um, every time I trim my bushes, my wife kind of shudders, right? Because she comes outside, and, and she's not like, oh, honey, she's like, you think it'll live? You know, and so I'm kind of an over pruner. Listen, that is not God. God is a perfect, holy, good father gardener. He knows exactly what he's doing. And the whole point of this passage is fruitfulness. This passage is not intended to, to scare us, but to encourage us, to embolden us. Verse 2 and following, we, there's kind of three types of believers alluded to. There's those who bear no fruit. There's those who bear some fruit, and there's those who bear much fruit. It's obviously God's desire that we bear much fruit, and he's committed to doing the work he needs to do for, to help us become that. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch, Jesus says, in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, we could go down a huge rabbit hole, but this whole idea of cut off here, um, it can mean a couple different things in the Greek. It can mean like cut off, separated, put away, but it also in other places can mean to be lifted up. And the Gospel of John uses that phrase in context. You can, you can make a case either direction. I tend to think the interpretation here of cut off, I, I tend to think lifted up is better for a few reasons. Um, first of all, uh, those who want to see cut off here is somehow you can lose your salvation. Uh, we know that's not true. Because earlier in John 10, Jesus says no one who is truly saved can be snatched out of the Father's hand. But some will look at Judas Iscariot and say, well, Judas was there. I mean, he was around, but ultimately he was cut off and he was burned. And you can debate that at lunch today with your friends. But I think here it's talking about the way that a vine dresser trains a vine. And so during a growing season, for the purpose of fruit, you don't come by and see a struggling vine and like, let's just hack it off, right? You would first try to tie it to the trellis. You would try to lift it up. You would tie, try to train it and praise the Lord that he doesn't just connect us to himself. But then he keeps tending to us. Amen? Now it says here, for those that bear some fruit, that he's going to continue to prune. He, he cuts us back at times. Uh, there are another sermon for another time about pruning, but pruning seasons are not always fun, are they? When you wonder, God, why is this 
happening? Lord, why am I going through what I'm going through? To the untrained eye, sometimes it feels like God is like me in my front yard trimming bushes. But that's not God. He doesn't trim too much. He doesn't prune not enough. God is committed to you becoming everything he saved you to be. He's committed to that. We'll get to the dead branches in verse 6. Look at verse 15, 3, though. Jesus says, you are already clean. This word clean, it's the same word as prunes. You are already clean. You're, you're clean because of this word that I've spoken to you. Ephesians chapter 5 uses this great image of us being washed by the water of the word. And I love that. He's like, listen, you are clean. Now, not Judas, right? He's not included in this. But the disciples, Jesus' word washes his people. The theme, the key verse, if you just look over the passage today, you're going to see one word that's repeated above all the rest. It's the word remain in the NIV. Some translations would say abide, remain in me. And it's this incredible word. And all the little words at the bottom of the screen, those are different ways that this word can be translated. It can mean remain. It can mean abide. To be in a close relationship with. When Jesus' disciples say to Jesus, where are you making your home? They use this word abide. It can be to, to live with, to continue with, to in, endure, to dwell. All these different aspects of this. Well, for Jesus, look again. He says there that no branch can bear fruit by itself. He commands us to do this thing remaining in him, which is this balance where he's got to make it happen, but then we've got to choose to be connected, to live in that awareness. And so uh, here's my attempt at summarizing what I think Jesus wants our goal to be. What's he after with this? And it's at the top of the next screen. Here it is. Jesus is after a continual awareness of and dependence on the presence and power of Christ in our lives. This whole image, right? We're going to see this as we go. That's what Jesus is wanting. Can I become, God help me become a person who is continually aware of and dependent on the presence and the power of Christ in my life. Again, there's the abiding in Christ, being in Christ. Look at verse 5. Jesus says again, I am the vine and you are the branches. Listen, remain in me, live with this awareness, become what I've called you to be, and it's going to be great. But if you decide, even as a believer, every time you decide, God, I'm going to take it from here. I'm going to do this my own way, that apart from him, we, we can do nothing. And my prayer today is you hear verse 5, like 11-year-old me, saying, listen, bro, if you disconnect, you will begin to die. But if you connect, it's going to be great, right? You're going to be just Fine. As Christians, we are Jesus-dependent. We are Holy Spirit-dependent. And so you may say, listen, the Christian life is difficult. Now, I would say in our own power, it's impossible. That's what Jesus is saying. The Christian life, apart from depending on the Lord, it's not hard. It's not possible. Right? We need God's strength in our lives. Chuck Swindoll has said this. He said, Christians often hear this passage and they assume that producing fruit is like something they've got to do. Like, I've got to focus on production. I've got to focus on somehow bearing this fruit. And so you're, you're trying to bear fruit, but this side of heaven, we continue to fail. Amen? Now, we should be growing, but we struggle and we fail. But listen, the command here is not to produce fruit. That's the byproduct of what the command is. Rest in the Lord. 
abide in him, remain in him, live in as close relationship with him as you can, that is the key to bearing fruit. Verse 6 is, is highly debated. You know, what does it mean that these are thrown into the fire? And, and, and again, there's the whole Judas Iscariot idea. Uh, I, I love what Warren Wearsby says, though. He kind of bypasses the whole thing and basically says, listen, let's not overinterpret every um, aspect of a good metaphor. So Wearsby says, it's unwise to build a doctrine on a parable or an allegory, right? The point of this is fruit in the life of the believer, and it's very clear, apart from him, you can do nothing, that, that, that there's this desire. But there's also this implication of, but listen, if you're a Christian, if you're really a believer, if you're connected to Jesus, fruitlessness is not possible for you. Because you're connected to Jesus, amen? And so his fruit, his life throws, flows through us. And so Jesus is, in, his, in Ezekiel, he says, listen, this is how it worked in the Old Testament. When they lived dependent on the Lord, they bore the fruit. They lived the lives God wanted them to live. But when they went their own way, they failed. They struggled. They did nothing. It is as we abide in Christ. Now, this is a little bit odd, but I want you to imagine for a moment that you turn on the evening news, and this is what you see. Tonight at 10, an interview with a tree branch. And you're like, well, now this I've got to see. And so you sit down, and this, the, the newscaster comes on, and she's, you know, take it away, Barb. And so Barb's out. You know, I'm out here at Windy Acres Farm, and she's got a, a ladder leaned up to a tree, and she's got a microphone, and she's kind of leaning out there. And she's like, I'm here on Windy Acres Farm. I'm, I'm here with Mr. Dell Ishes. And, and, and Dell, we're going to get all of his, we want to learn what's the secret to Dell's success. He's, he's the best fruit-bearing branch in the entire orchard. Dell, what is the secret to your success. And Del's like, oh, just hang out. <laughs> no, but like, what are you doing? What's the secret? Uh, I just, uh, man, the fruit, does, the tree does the work, right? I just stay connected to the tree. No, but what's the secret? Man, listen, you're not understanding. All I'm called to do is not disconnect from the tree. In much the same way, listen, it's not, yes, it's so good that God saves us. But that is not like, I finished. That's, look, I'm beginning, right? There's the rest of this life that God wants me to live. And so I want to spend the next few moments just throwing out a bunch of questions. Normally, I will use bigger fonts. But I wanted you to see all these questions on the screen together at the same time. We're not even going to answer all of these today. But I want you to see the big picture of this passage. Because if you let the Holy Spirit ask you these questions, then here's what you're letting the Spirit ask you. Father, God, would you show me, is my relationship vine and branches close? Right? If that's what God desires, then... These six questions, and again, they're just straight from the passage here. And so look at verses uh, 7 and 8. Question 1, is my prayer life active and effective? That's question 1, is my prayer life active and effective? And look at verse 7. He says, listen, if you remain in me and remain in my words, right? To, to, to say that you love Jesus and ignore his words is just silly, right? He's assuming that believing and trusting is to follow. If you remain in my words and my words remain in you. And then get this. Ask whatever you wish 
and it will be done for you. Now, is this just a blank check to get whatever we want to? No, listen, in Psalm 37, 4, we read that we can delight ourselves in the Lord, and he will give us the desires of our hearts. But that doesn't mean that we delight in the Lord and we get what we want. He's saying, listen, the more you delight in the Lord, the more you're going to want what the Father wants. And the more you want what God wants, the more God's like, oh, please ask for it. You're, you're in line with my will. You're in line with my work. Would you please ask? I would love to give you the desires of your heart. Here's 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. 1 John 5 and 14 and 15, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. And so again, when you are connected, you're going to begin to bear the fruit of Christ. You'll begin to want what he wants. And so for you today, where you sit, let the Spirit ask you, is my prayer life active and effective. Number two, does my desire to obey God reveal that I love God? Does my desire to obey God simply reveal that I, I love to follow Jesus? Look at verse 9 and following. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Aren't you glad that Jesus is an all-sufficient, sinless Savior? I mean, he says here, everything God wanted, that's, that's what I did. Why did Jesus do that? Because he had to? No, because he, he loves his dad. And in the same way, he's like, listen, as I have loved you, now I want you to love me. And this loving me, I don't want you to buy me chocolates. I'm, thanks for wearing Christian t-shirts. That's great. But what I want is for you to obey I want your obedience. I want you to follow me. And I, I was thinking about that this week. And, and I think there was a time in my life when I only obeyed the Lord because I didn't want to get in trouble. And that's good. I mean, that's a good reason to obey the Lord. But that's not as good as just saying I just love him. I love him and, and I follow him and I'm grateful. And I just simply want to do what he asked me to do. Um, I had a friend one time who I used to go door-to-door -door evangelism with, the faith evangelism strategy, if you remember that. And so you were taught to give your testimony, and here was this guy, his name was Dean. Here was his testimony. He would say, before my life with Christ, I did what I wanted, when I wanted, where I wanted, with whom I wanted. But then I had a life-changing encounter with Christ. Now, I do what I want, when I want, where I want, with whom I want. But all of my wants have changed. Listen, th this is not about God told me to do these things so I do them. When you love him, you just will do them. You will delight in what the Lord has said. And so what does it mean to abide? It means to obey. We get strength from the tree, right? God doesn't tell us to do things. He doesn't give us the strength to do. Amen? But we've got, we have a role to play in this where we continue, we abide in the Lord. Question three, do I have the joy of Jesus in my life? Do I have the joy of Jesus in my life? Look at verse 11. Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
right? That's the good news of Christmas, good news of great joy, right? Salvation offered to all people in this day, right? The Savior has been born in the city of David, good news of great joy for all people. That makes sense at Christmas. But call time out for a second and think about when Jesus says, John 15, 11. This is not hunky-dory happy times, Literally, in moments after talking to his disciples about joy, he's going to be sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane under agony, not just because he fears the cross, but because my sin and your sin is becoming upon him. He, he, he looks into the cup of God's wrath and he trembles for a minute in Gethsemane. It's this horrible like, ex, like relational, experiential moment for Jesus. But he talks about joy. Well, what is joy? Well, joy is dependent um, not on our circumstances, amen? It's more than happiness, but joy definitely can cause us to laugh and cause us to smile. Uh, this world does not offer true joy. It can offer a thrill or two, but true joy only comes as a result of the Lord and His grace. Joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? The likeness of Christ in us. One author defined joy like this. He said, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit that makes us unsinkable to ultimate despair. Hear that one more time. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit that makes us unsinkable to ultimate despair. Now, everybody look right here for a second. Does that mean that Christians never grieve? Of course not. Remember, we're in John 15, John 11 Jesus stops and weeps with Mary and Martha, the sisters of his friend Lazarus who had died. And Jesus stops and grieves with them even though he knows resurrection is the end of that story. Amen? And so God weeps when we weep. But joy, this, this joy, is it keeps us going. It keeps us trusting. It keeps us looking forward with hope. The Bible says that joy is both something God gives, but it's also something we've got to choose to do. We've got to, to possess it. The evangelist Billy Sunday said this. He said, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. If you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. Question three, do you have the joy of Jesus in your life? Question four, let the Spirit ask you, do I love others as Jesus loves me? That's a big question, amen? Do I love others as Jesus has loved me. Look at John 15, 12. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And so again, Jesus is that one, amen? He didn't just lay down his life for his friends. He laid down his life while we were still his enemies, and he, he, but he says, listen, when you love, when you've been loved by me, you're going to begin to love people like me. And I think this is where so many of the world's issues from work to home to all of that, for us, listen, love people. Let God love people through you. At the moment of salvation, Romans 5 says, God's love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so I just need to get my sinful, selfish self out of the way, right, and let Christ to love others through me. It's so countercultural to be kind. Doesn't mean we're not bold, but we are to speak the truth in love, to be loving, to love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor is anybody that you can do well for. And so 
at a minimum, we should love other believers. But this Jesus kind of love lets us even love our enemies. And so again, if you're connected to the vine, all this is Jesus applying this Jesus-dependent vine and branches picture, right? Do I love as Jesus has loved me? Number five, ask yourself today, am I growing in the truths of God's word? Am I growing in the truths of God's word? Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Why? For everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. I don't know about you. I'd be happy if you just let me be a servant. Like, I'm totally cool with that, right? That I could be a servant of the living God. I'm, I'm ready. Listen, he has more. He, he brings us into the family. He makes us brothers and sisters. In the Old Testament, Abraham and Moses, they're called the friend of God. We all, right, can be called friends of God. But he's not like your buddy, right? And so he's a friend, but he's a, don't lose the, the vine and branches metaphor. He is your friend, but he is God and you are not. He is your friend, but he is the source of your life. And again, keep in mind, chapter 16, what's it about? It's all about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So how is it that God leads us into all the rest that he has for us? He comes and lives inside of us. One author said, uh, ask the question, what's better than Jesus beside us? And the answer is the Holy Spirit inside us. Amen? That he comes to live in us. And then lastly today, number six, am I spending my life on things that eternally matter? If you look back at verse 8, he, he talks about, like, listen, here's what I'm doing in you. Verse 8, this is all of my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then look at verse 16. He says, listen, you did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you. Why? God, well, what are you doing, Lord? Like, if you're looking for God's will for your life, like, here it is, right? He says, so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. That word last there, it's abide, it's remain, it's continue, it's endure. As we remain in Christ, then we're going to do the things that remain, the things that last. He says, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And all this begins to, to kind of run together and connect back to Jesus Christ. But God has chosen us. Right? God has offered salvation to us. He's called us into a relationship with himself. He's raised us from death to life, and he's reconnected them to Jesus who is our life. And so now we are hidden in Christ and Jesus' life in us. Well, how do I know if I'm spending my life on the things that matter? Right? And so you can let the Holy Spirit do with this next question whatever the Spirit wants to do. Listen, you just, you look at your bank statement, you look at your calendar, and you look at your passion. And then you let the Spirit ask you, am I spending my life? You get one life. You get whatever resources God has entrusted to you. If you are abiding in Christ, then the things that God does through you are going to outlive you. They're going to be things that eternally matter. As you look over those six questions, is, it's just simple. Is your relationship with Christ as close as God wants it to be? Right? That's the question. 
I'm going to invite our worship team to come. And I've got two questions today. Uh, question one for believers. For believers. Are you as fruitful as God wants you to be? As you look at those questions, are you as fruitful as God wants you to be? And you may be saying, you can't stop now. Like, I was just starting to think through the questions. How do I work through those six questions? I have some really good news for you. We're getting ready to do a church-wide study that in my own life was as helpful to me as anything of what it is to really experience God. I love it. It says, knowing and doing the will of God. This is not how to learn about God. This is to how, how to get to know God. And so again, your response today may not be to come forward. It might be to go backwards to the table, get into a group, get on a list, go ahead and, and get a book, do session one, find a place to jump in. If all you can do is Sunday mornings, I'm going to try to hit the high points. But if you really want to get serious about abiding in Christ, and I, 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 I triple dog dare you this morning, jump in. And then lastly today, for those of you who are like, man, I, this is great. Listen, all this remaining in the vine stuff, it only makes sense if you're in the vine. And so Jesus over and over and over again, he's like, these branches that are in me, this vine that is in me. Listen, I'm going to be down front today. I'm going to ask Joey to join me down front. We would love the chance today to pray over you, but especially if you're here today. And you're like, you know what, I don't know that I've ever really connected to Jesus in a, in a saving way. And if you can't think of the time today when you said, God, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, I surrender to you. Like, when was that time for you? If you're not sure when you were connected to the vine, you may not be connected to the vine. Is the likeness of Christ showing up in your life? And if it's not, man, today's the day of salvation. Would you come? Father, God, would your spirit move in these moments of response, Lord? Father, I pray, Lord, that you've taken a, a lisping, stammering tongue, Father, and louder than a man's voice in a room or through some speakers where someone watches from home. God, would your spirit, God, would you have your way with every soul this morning? Whatever that means, God, would we stand confessing that we need you and surrender to whatever that change that means for us today. Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.